This show is for the sales leader who knows they have a pivotal role in driving outstanding sales results. Getting hired or promoted to manage a sales team is a big accomplishment, but you know you have to work hard to become a great sales leader. You are listening to the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. Here's your host, coach and advisor to elite sales leaders from around the world, Matt McDarvey. Hello and welcome to the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. I'm Matt McDarby, veteran seller, leader, coach and advisor to elite sales leaders all over the world. I'm so excited to have you listening. In our latest season of interview episodes, I'm going to be asking some of the same questions about lessons learned, some of the great challenges that the leaders I'm interviewing have overcome, who did they learn from, But there's one important question that I'm adding to the mix, and it's essentially, what are the most important parts of your system? And this is my way of bringing systems thinking, which has been a recurring theme of the last several episodes, into our conversations with highly effective and successful sales leaders. Why am I doing that? I'm doing that to help you clarify in your own mind, what are the key elements in your system? What does your sales leader's operating system look like? I'm really excited to have you listening in on these conversations. So I hope you love this season of interviews. Our very next guest is coming up right now. Our next guest has had a remarkable career as a seller and leader. Her 19-year career at ADP, and yes, I said 19 years, almost unheard of in professional selling nowadays, but not unusual at ADP. Her career spans field sales to frontline management to second line and third line leadership to today, where she leads thousands of sales professionals in ADP's small business sales organization. Please welcome Lacey Bozzelli. Welcome to the Divine Comedy of Sales, Lacey. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. I'm happy to be here. You know, I have the challenge. I think I've said this in other interview episodes because I, I talked to other senior level, executive level sales leaders with you know similarly long and successful careers. My task is to somehow grab all the wisdom out of your brain in like 25 minutes. So wish me luck. I'm excited. Let's get into it. (laughs) All right. So, you know, one of the themes for this year, for 2024 on this show, is we're talking about uh, not only lessons learned, but things like, like systems thinking. And when I talk about systems thinking, I'm not necessarily referring to it in the academic sense. It's more like the best sales leaders that I've observed that I've worked with over years, they have a, they have a system or a way of making sense of all of the sort of various and interconnected parts of a sales organization, and they know how to sort of tune and diagnose and move certain levers to get better performance out of their sales organizations. So, and and by doing that, they really make the whole system sort of work together, right? And I mentioned, you've got thousands of people in your organization. So clearly a system of, of, of some kind is required to make that all go. So you've been incredibly successful for a long time. So what are the most important parts of your system? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And I think, you know, the first thing that comes to mind whenever you say that is the people and the people that go into the system are probably the most important cog. If you don't have the right people, whether it's the sellers that you are hiring that are motivated and have the right intrinsic motivations to want to succeed or to drive success or have something outside of work that they're working towards, it's hard to motivate them. And then you think about it from the people from the leadership side of it, you know, it, it's really just the same. And all the way up to the role that I sit in today, I'd say that the people 
it's very important for the roles that you surround yourself with because you get into higher levels of leadership. You can't do everything and be all things to all people. So having the right people and the right roles that can help you think about the different avenues and angles of the business that you trust really comes to be the most important. So the people is the first thing that I would say that in any role is the most successful part of the system to make the system work. Yeah, yeah. I've seen that and having the exposure that I've had to your organization, I know how much of a focus that is for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And then and then like beyond the people, once you have the people right, there's something that that I've followed in principle for years and tried to teach to my sales teams. And it's something that we call the execution model. And really, it's just anything that you're trying to achieve or a goal that you're trying to get to. I'm a firm believer that when you put it into this analysis system, you always are going to get the output that you want if you follow through with that particular system. So I won't get into crazy amounts of details, but it's just like, you know, first planning. What are the goals that you want to hit? What is the risk with that particular plan or milestone that you're trying to hit? How are you going to train your teams on it? How are you going to get them bought in? And, um, and really excited about it, like what's in it for them. And then you have to be really clear, like what does success look like? What are we going to ask Oof. these teams to do on a daily, weekly basis? And then how are we going to track and monitor the success, but also hype and recognize the success that comes along with it? So you could boil it down to six steps. I usually use it in about eight steps, which includes the debrief at the end. But I found in using this simple model of looking at each of these areas, it's really hard to not find success at the end of it. And usually if you don't, you can track it back to say, hmm, we didn't really have a clear definition of what the goal was or what success looked like. So those are those are a couple of the pieces that I'd say are, are probably the biggest parts when you say system to me, I think of people and the execution model because that's how you get the results. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. And those six elements, plan, risks, training, getting buy-in, clarity, track and monitor, right? or eight, or you can add other pieces to it, really resonate with me. And I, they, they line up with, you know, I've had the benefit of being around a lot of great senior level sales leaders, and they would use very similar language when it comes to just getting stuff done. And that's a, a really big development opportunity for their leaders is how do they get progressively better, more committed and more effective at execution? Because yep. if you can do that and you've got the right people, that's kind of the, the recipe, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's looking at, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. It's easy to say, hey, I want to get more new meetings with, with new business owners. It's another thing to break it down on the steps to figure out, okay, what is the objective? What's the angle that we're going to go towards? And then tracking each step along in that process to make sure that you get the output. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, good. Makes total sense, right? And like I said at the top, when I even positioned the question about systems thinking, it can sound a little you know, sort of academic or intellectual. And that's not, I mean, it's smart, right? But we're talking about real world, you know, a system that actually drives results as evidenced by what you've been able to do for a long time. So stepping out of the system, let's just talk more broadly about, you know, you've learned a lot, obviously, over the years. What what do you think is the most important lesson that you've learned so far about leading a sales org? Mm, That's a great question. You know, I think if I look at, you know, my 19 years in sales, but really 16 of those being in leadership. The one thing that I, I've seen and I continue to see no matter what level is that people, leaders really need and crave direction and coaching. And what I really mean by that is whether it was myself as a first, first frontline leader, 
I was thinking, you know, I need to get everybody to like me before I ask them to buy in. Or as a, as a leader of leaders, seeing that, you know, you put them in the role and you think, well, they've already led people, they've got this, right? And I'm just going to need to kind of point them in a direction here or there. But really what I've found is any new leader comes into the role, they're really looking for someone to kind of, I don't want to say tell them what to do, but really have a strong anchor and guiding them and coaching them. And I think that's a mistake that I see often for new leaders or even leaders moving into the next level is you assume as they become more tenured of leaders, they got this, right? They know what they're doing. And so I'd say that is a big thing that I've had to consistently think through through the years is when someone new is coming in, they're great. That's why you put them in the job, right? And you interviewed them, you probably hired them for the job because of their skill set and their success that they had in the previous role. But the current role is new. Right. And so ensuring that you're helping to really lean in to provide guidance and framework to get them off to a great start is really, really important. And I've seen that from, again, like I said, frontline leaders all the way to the role that I am in today, that coaching and that direction is really, really critical anytime someone steps into a new role and continuing throughout their development. Yeah, no, it's um, well said. It's also it's not only if they're stepping into a new role, but if something has changed. They could maybe they've been in the role for a year or two or three, but something has changed in the environment. Yep. Right. And that requires new new guidance, new direction, doesn't it? Yep. Abs- absolutely. And and I can think probably the best example is I had a a um we call them vice presidents, but had been a very, very successful vice president for six years. And you say a new environment, relocated him across the country to a new role, but you know, at a higher level. And, you know, kind of let him do his thing for the first three months, still meeting regularly, understanding what was going on, but could see at the end of those three months that he was still struggling to identify what were like the right key focus items that he should be focused on. And one day he looked at me and said, can you just tell me what to do? And it was like this light bulb aha moment for me. And once I was able to help him kind of boil down all the things that he was looking at into two or three key items, he took off from there. And the rest was kind of history. But that that was kind of like a light bulb moment for me that at every single level, that guidance, that coaching, that support and detail is needed. You know, it's funny. I've seen the opposite, not in your organization, but in other places where that the direction is lacking. And there is an assumption. This person's been doing this for a long time. Yes, we're moving him or her into a new role, but they've got it. Like they're the they're the finished yep. product. And that sends a very different message than the one you're delivering to your leaders, which is I am going to set really clear direction and expectations for you so that you can thrive in the role. The opposite is true when a leader doesn't when it when they don't do that. The message is let me know how it's going. Kind of right, like it's you're on because you're sort of on your own. And that's really, that's kind of a, uh, that's a tough message for a leader to receive. Like, I guess, I guess I have to figure this out on my own. And I've I've seen people struggle with that. So I think your commitment to giving people clear direction and coaching is great. I want people at the end of this, incidentally, Lacey, I didn't mention, but I do, after every interview, I spend about three or four minutes pulling out a few gems and summarizing for people and challenging them to think about how do you, how are you going to do that now? (laughs) So one of the things will be, how do you give clear direction? Yeah. Two yep. people, where are you yep. falling short? Right? Yep, absolutely. When you say clear direction, we had a conversation just recently about expectations, communicating clear expectations. Are we talking about the same thing, or is there or is there something uh, something else to giving clear direction? Maybe that that goes over and above that sort of what, why, and how idea that we were talking about. 
I, I think they're related expectations. Like that's another thing that I could go on and on about with with lessons. You know, when someone asked me, what is the biggest thing you see a first line leader struggle with? It's holding people accountable. And usually they struggle with holding people accountable because they haven't set clear expectations. So when we say direction or coaching, you know, the direction could be you're taking over a market and maybe it's completely different than the market that you had before. Maybe that, you know, market was heavy blue collar and now you're moving into a white collar space. So the areas where you need to spend your time or learning more about a particular industry, right? That could be more of what I would call like direction or focus. Expectations to me are more so of um, the fundamentals that you expect day in and day out to be delivered on, right? Where there's a goal or an outcome to come from. So they're similar, but I think there's a, a, a couple ways that they're also different too. I think the expectations are reoccurring, ongoing, and help you actually get to that outcome that you're looking for. That's a good distinction. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. That's helpful. Thank you. All right. You've been doing this job for a long time, 16 years leading sales organizations, teams, right? I'm going to presume you must be doing this not only because of the rewards, but because you love it to an extent, right? And I've seen you, uh, you know, you can't see the video here, right? You're smiling, right? You're excited to be having the conversation about the subject matter and everything else I know about you tells me you really do. You really do enjoy doing this even through the hard parts. So what if, what is it that you love most about leading salespeople, leading a sales organization? Yes, absolutely. Um, there's there's that old quote. I used to have it framed on my office uh, before I relocated it. It was in my Arizona office, but it said, if you love what you do, you'll never have to work a day in your, of your life, right? And I absolutely yep. do, yep. 19 years, and it's because every day coming to work is fun. And I would point back most to the people right? To being why yeah. I love it. But when uh-huh. you say like, why do I love leadership? It's just the, the, the feeling that you get when you see those that you've worked with or develop actually achieve their goals. And I can think of some of my proudest moments of my 19 years. And, and the majority of those proudest moments come when someone was getting promoted or taking their next step or uh-huh. achieved a really big goal all the way to even, you know, a frontline associate, you know, picking up their first sales deal on their own. You know, those moments are are the moments that I think make leading people most rewarding. And the only other thing that I would say is like, you know, when you you sit and you interview someone for the first time and they tell you what their goals are and why they want to do sales or why they want to do leadership. And then as a leader, you get to pull that hunger out and help them make the tweaks needed to get to those goals. Like to me, that's the most rewarding is seeing that that hunger that they have and helping pull it out in the ways that help them be the most successful or maximize their full potential. And even sometimes, Matt, that comes with, you know, they'll start to have self-doubt or challenge or question if they can actually do the job. And so believing in them before they actually like truly believe, maybe it's you're stretching them to a goal that they didn't think was actually possible. And then you see them achieve that goal. And then when they do, they, you see the belief that they also then have, yes. right? I'd say those are some of just the most rewarding parts of leadership to me. And, and why you do the job every single day is, is to live for those moments. Yeah. I like the last point, especially about like believing in them first, uh, especially, and it, it comes back to something we were talking about a few minutes ago too, especially if you've got somebody who's moving into a new role or something has changed about their role and they do have doubt. A lot of us in this profession, this is an ego-driven profession. Like you don't choose 
to be in a sales job or a leadership job if you don't have a certain degree of belief in yourself. But it's also an incredibly challenging role that can really kind of kind of get down to your core belief. Like, am I really capable? Can I really do this well? And if your leader believes in you first, that can be the really the thing that that kind of helps you to turn the corner. And I've been there, right? As a, as a bag carrying salesperson myself, I've had plenty of moments where I'm like, I don't know if I can get this done. But being in an environment where you've got a leader that that believes in you and is willing to invest because they believe in you is makes an enormous difference. Yeah. So that's well said. For those listening, there's definitely a, a a pattern. I've asked you know some of the best sales leaders in the world this question: What do you love about it? And that I love the feeling you get when you see others achieve great things is common. Almost everybody says that's actually that's really the thing that keeps me in this despite all the challenges. So interesting that you say that. Driving great sales results is hard. Doing it consistently is even harder. There are so many obstacles that can prevent you from becoming the most effective sales leader you can be. Find practical advice you can apply right away by picking up your copy of Matt's book, The Divine Comedy of Sales at www.divinecomedyofsales.com. So on the flip side, we know this is not easy. What have you found to be the most challenging or the thing that's just most difficult to work through as a sales leader? What would that be? Yeah, that's a really good question. And, you know, I think you'll notice a theme probably with me that always comes back to people. But I'd say the most challenging is sometimes those people, the person you put in the job or maybe you inherited that person in the job might not be the right fit for the role. And it doesn't matter how many years you've done it, it never gets easier to have to have a conversation with someone that this might not be the right fit. In every situation I've had, it's never because they're a bad person or, you know, did something wrong. It's a lot of times it's, is it time of life? Is it, you know, the the wrong role for them? And I can give many examples where it, it was one of those two things. And those people went on to be very successful in other parts of our organization, but it just wasn't the right fit. Whether it was, you know, I'm, I'm leading entry-level sales associates and, you know, I have a new family at home and I can't give everything that I need to those frontline associates mm-hmm. and that's not where my headspace is right now, to I jumped into leadership because I thought it was the right path, but they really would rather carry a bag or something more fulfilled by being an individual contributor, right? So there's many times that those conversations at first are, you know, awkward or uncomfortable, but they're needed to make sure that you have the right people in the job at the right time. So I would definitely say I find that the most challenging every time, anytime that situation comes up, but it's also making those decisions are the most critical and most important, because if you leave someone in a role that's then also responsible for leading teams or sometimes even leading leaders, it could be a more critical mistake if you don't make that change because you're impacting more people. Yeah. You're kidding me where I live here. I've lived through this in a few different roles and it's on a few levels. One, when you start to get the inkling that somebody is not going to be be successful in the role they're in meaning they may have to leave the organization or simply move into a new role. It can be hard to make that decision quickly enough, right? Because, and this is sort of the flip side of of this is you're investing into their development, you're their coach, you're a little bit of cheerleader, you believe in them, you're expressing this, and then 
over time, you realize this is not, this is not working. And I think one of the things that I know I've struggled with is moving fast to make those decisions. Like the moment you discover is the moment you should, you need to start taking action and get this person into a new situation one way or another. But the other thing that I've found is that conversation where you're telling them, look, you, I don't think you're going to be successful in this role. We need to have you, we need to move you somewhere else or you need to leave essentially a lot easier to have that conversation. If I know I've done all that I possibly can to help them to be successful, if there's any inkling that I haven't, I'm like, ah, this, this is hard, but it's 10 times harder if I feel like I haven't done enough to get them there. Right. Have you, have you experienced that? Yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. You, a lot of times if you have the, the gut, it says this is not right. And the change needs to happen. I found even early on, a lot of times I would say, but I, I could do more or I haven't helped them enough. But I think there's a fine balance between knowing that you have and leaned in and done as many things as you can and, and just making the call too. So I absolutely agree. It's like, have you done enough to help that person? But even when you have, sometimes you still, your gut is to think like, well, maybe we should try this or try a little bit more because those calls are tough to make. But usually when you know, you know. You know, Yeah. For sure. All right, let's shift gears. I want to talk about kind of Lacey, not only Lacey the leader, but Lacey the professional, Lacey the person. Who's had the most influence on you and your work as a leader? And it could be, you know, it could be anybody, right? It could be a family member, a coach, a coworker. Who comes to mind? Yeah. So I could answer this in a, in a couple of different ways, but I'd say like how I got into sales and, and everything was just my parents. I had a, a dad that was a a logger and had to drive two hours to and from work every single day. And then my mom that was a single school teacher, but sold everything under the sun from Mary Kay to Cutco knives to make ends meet. So my parents definitely gave me my work (laughs) ethic and my, my knack for sales. But if I think about inside of ADP, there's really three of my former leaders that I would point to that had pivotal points in my career. And they were all my direct leaders. My first was just my sales leader. And I mentioned it before, but I was probably the greenest of green sales associates. And he believed in me well before I believed in myself. He, I remember him saying, you're going to make President's Club this year. And I looked at him and like he had three heads. Like you were... You you were crazy, (laughs) but he built a plan. Talk about setting clear expectations. And he helped me accountable to that plan. And at times I would get frustrated with him because he held me so accountable. But he was the first person that I went up and hugged when I did make President's Club that year. Right. So I think he's taught me how important it is to, to believe in people and see the best in them and a lot of those lessons. The second person that I think about is, um, my first leader, when I was a leader. And what he taught me was the importance of raising your hand. And a lot of times I what do you, what do you mean? So I think especially as is as females, I've seen this. You might there might be an opportunity that's open and you think, well, I need more time or I'm not ready yet. Whereas I've seen I can say personally for myself, I would have male counterparts that would say, that's my job. I'm going for it. And they'd have the same resume that I did, but I would have this self-doubt in my head. So he was very adamant about the importance of me raising my hand and stepping up and getting outside of my comfort zone. So saying, hey, I want to take that next opportunity or I deserve the opportunity to interview for that next opportunity. Yeah, I'd say that worked out. 
I'd say that worked it, it out did, pretty well. It did, but you, I think back right? to some of these moments, right, <laughs> to those two leaders, and had they not been there, you know, I would probably sure. still be shy or timid or would sales have worked out, but they really, you know, empowered me. And then the last one that's probably the biggest is when I was um, a, a divisional vice president. So at that point, leading probably about 400 associates and 30 plus leaders, this particular leader taught me the power of sponsorship. And I talk about this a lot with you know new associates or new leaders today, but the difference in mentorship and sponsorship. And a mentor a lot of times is assigned or it's forced. Like a sponsor can come out of a mentorship, but that sponsor is the person that that speaks for you and advocates for you when you're not in the room. And, you know, he would challenge me and push me to grow. But when I responded, he was the biggest advocate or screaming from the rooftops, building my brand and sharing with others what I was doing to be successful that I really believe helped me get to, you know, where I am today, you know, and, and taught me a lot about doing that for others also. Well, I think that's, as I hear that, that's the thing that I take away. Like to, to be the leader when your people know that you're an advocate for them, think about their effort. What are they going to give you? Like, you know, it's, it just, it, again, it speaks to the strength of the relationship between the leader and people being led, but there's the, the, the connection between the last two people that you referenced, both kind of are about advocating. Raise your hand is about ad. Be ready, be willing and able and ready to advocate for yourself because that's because other people are doing it, right? They're advocating for themselves. You should advocate for yourself and I will be your advocate, which is different than just being your coach and your mentor. I'm, I'm actively going to take a role and be that voice when an opportunity comes up to say, Lacey's the one, right? Or fill in the name. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think then for those listening, the opportunity is if you have people like, you know, Lacey in her early career, a diamond in the rough, right? You can see the capability. You believe in their capability. Then there's two key messages here about advocating, right? Helping them to understand how important it is for them to advocate for themselves, but letting them know that you are willing to advocate for them. Talk about the, I was going to, you know, wind beneath their wings. I, I'm, just, I'm, look, I'm, I'm reaching for it, but, but I, right, I'm about to get into a Bette Midler song here yep, on the podcast for the first up. time. That's the, that's the truth, right? Yeah, good analogy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. Okay, excellent. All right. Well, I've got one last question while I've got you, which is purposely open and vague, uh, because I want to make sure that I grab if there's anything else that's in your mind that you've learned or that you think people you know need to know about leading sales organizations successfully. And it is simply... What else, Lacey? What else do we need to know that we haven't already talked about? You know, I think I would say just because someone is a great salesperson doesn't always make them the best leader. And the best leaders aren't always the greatest salespeople. And I find the difference between the two is the person that cares first. So when I'm looking for a great leader, I'm first looking for the reasons they want to get into the role and ensuring that is there first before all of the other pieces. Because I've had many times where we put someone in that's one of our top salespeople and they think they should jump in because that's the best, the next vertical path, but that's not the right particular path for them. So I'd say, you know, that old saying, um, no one knows how much you care until they, or no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Like that is the, the, the piece I try to think about first and foremost when I'm identifying leaders. 
And then the second thing that I would just say about leadership is it it's always on. It's, you know, similar to your kids. You're thinking about like, you know, what do you, what do you need to do for them? You're thinking about your people. Like what's next? What, what can I do to help them? How can I help them develop? What gaps do we have? How can we move to the next level? But it's the most rewarding, right? There's no other role that I've had. Yeah. You know, sales was great, but there's nothing like leadership and the reward that comes out of it when you help an individual achieve their goals, when you help your organization achieve your goals, and ultimately, you know, you win together with your people. It's the most rewarding role that there is out there. So that's what I would uh, say we left on the table. Okay. Well, it's on the table now. We got it. (laughs) So most rewarding, pivotal role, right? We've learned a ton here. Like I said at the top, we managed to squeeze about 19 years of wisdom into about a 25, 26-minute conversation. So Lacey, I'm going to let you go and I'm going to go ahead and give my quick two, three minute summary and challenge the listeners to think about what can we, well, based on what we just learned from Lacey, how can we apply this now to our roles? So before I do that, thank you so much for joining us. It was wonderful to have you on the show. It was a real thrill. It was fun. Thank you so much for having me. And I always appreciate conversations with you. So thank you again. Thank you, Lacey. You know, I knew Lacey was going to be a wonderful guest. So much wisdom that she's gained over the years leading salespeople and uh, a really thoughtful person who's very much tuned in, not just to leadership, but to developing other leaders. So I knew today's conversation would be really productive. She said a number of things that um, I want to pull out of the conversation, and then we'll think about how does this apply to you, dear sales leader. When I asked the question, about her system, what are the key elements in her system? She really said there's two key pieces to it. One is people. People are the most important piece, she said, which does not surprise me given Lacey's ongoing commitment to people development in her organization. And she mentioned execution, the execution model, and she kind of ran off a, a bunch of pieces to that that execution model, plan, risks, training, getting buy-in, achieving clarity, tracking and monitoring progress. So really for her, two key elements to the system, which makes a lot of sense when you consider the sheer size of her organization. She could have rattled off dozens of things, but when you reach that level of responsibility and capability, you tend to boil things down to just maybe two or three really important but really big topics like people and execution. When I asked Lacey, like, what's the most important lesson you've learned? She said, people crave direction and coaching. Totally resonates with me. I agree. I've had the exact same experience. I see it when people don't have clear enough direction. They flounder when they don't have coaching. They don't develop. They don't get better. They don't grow and scale themselves. Related to that, she made an important point about accountability, that once you've given people clear direction, that accountability really depends on their receiving and understanding what's expected of them. So again, clear expectations, a theme, certainly something I've talked about and that other leaders who I've interviewed on the show have mentioned explicitly. She said, great salespeople don't always make great sales leaders. Yep, seen that, right? And uh, while many great sellers have the makeup, the selling skill the ability to think strategically, uh, the desire to want to get better and help others get better, that doesn't always translate into them becoming great leaders. 
One of the things that Lacey mentioned, which is very similar to things that we've heard when I asked her, like, what's the, what's the thing you love most about the job? She said, I love the people. I love the feeling you get when you see others achieve great things. Believing in them first, helping them to see what's possible before they even see it in themselves, right? So this is a great people leader who is affirming something we've heard from other leaders and other great people leaders that in the end, the thing they love most is seeing other people win. So just a great episode. I hope that you uh, were taking notes. If you weren't, listen to the episode again, because my challenge to you is if you aspire to be in a senior level chief sales officer, third, fourth line leader kind of a role like Lacey is today, then you have to pay really close attention to the elements that she said are in her system and listen closely to how she thinks about the people in her organization and how important they are. How can you translate that into your current role as you rise in responsibility in a sales organization, or maybe you're even reaching beyond and moving into the C-suite as a CEO or president of an organization? How can you apply some of these simple ideas to your system? So again, I want to thank Lacey for joining us for today's conversation In our next episode, we are going to be talking with another fantastic sales leader, sharing their insights on how they've overcome great challenges and achieved unbelievable results. You'll be knocked out by that conversation. In the meantime, this is Matt McDarby, host and author of The Divine Comedy of Sales. Thank you so much for joining. Bye-bye for now.